The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at CARM.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It's me, Matt Slick. You're listening to Matt Slick Live. And today is October 25th, 2023. Today is the anniversary of me starting the CARM ministry 28 years ago. 28 years ago, I started the CARM website. And this is the day I, I, I don't remember the exact day. But I remember looking and thinking, okay, it was on this day. And so today is the day that we celebrate, 28 years. And uh, if you would like, I'd like you to call in, you know, and just say, hey, I love the CARM website. Or I hate the CARM website. Either one. I, w- I would like that. And you could even comment about the radio show if you want. But doing radio for 20 years now, 18 years, five days a week, and two years, one day a week. So 20 years of radio, and uh, I enjoy that. So uh, there you go. If you want to give me a call, all you got to do is dial 877-207-2276. I want to hear from you. Give me a call. If you don't want to call, uh, then if you want, you can email me. And that's real easy to do. Just dial, dial, sheesh. Just uh, point your brow. Let me try this again in English. Makes sense. Email me at info at karm.org, info at karm.org, and all you got to do is put in the uh, the subject like karm, uh, it's going to be radio question or or radio comment or something like that. In fact, if you want to just say, you know, put in radio comments today, I'll look at it uh, today and read your comments and uh, uh, because it's at info, and you can say, hey, happy birthday from, and I'll read your first name. If you want me to read the whole name, I will. I'll, I'll read the whole name over the radio if uh, you're in the area listening and stuff like that. So, because uh, it's kind of fun. I remember once I was at a, um, a, a store and somebody recognized my voice and we got talking. And he goes, hey, I love your radio show. This is when I was in the area here and uh, broadcasting in the area. And he said his, he and his three kids listen to me on it every day. And I said, really? Oh, that's awesome. And I said, tell you what, how about this? I said, give me their names. And what I'll do tomorrow, when you guys are listening, I'll just mention their names. I'll just, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hey, well, by the way, and I said, what I want you to do is just email me and just say what their reaction was. And we did. And so uh, the next day, uh, I just, you know, said, oh, by the way, and I mentioned the three kids' names right on the radio. And he, the father, emailed me and he <laughs> said, he said they were just in the car listening and all of a sudden all their names and they were like dead quiet and still staring at each other staring at the dad and they're like what and i said the names again and they're like no way and they got the biggest kick out of that and so uh, it was a lot of fun i like doing stuff like that because it's a lot of fun and uh, here I, and i'm going to ask a, a, a request hope my wife is listening my, if you guys know she has a lot of medical issues and i've been trying to get her on the radio for years to uh, get in and just just talk to me. She can call in on the phone and we just talk, and we can talk about her medical issues and her faithfulness to Christ during this whole time because she's been pretty amazing about it. She really has. Uh, I'm not just saying it, um, but she's really been uh, you know quite a witness uh, for the Lord through all of her difficulties. So there you go. Hey, like I said, if you want to call me, eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. 
And if you want, you can email me a comment or a question at info at carm.org, I-N-F-O at carm, C-A-R-M dot O-R-G. And uh, I would really like it if you were to do that because today is the 28th anniversary of the CARM website, CARM Ministry. It has had over 158 million visitors, 82 million returning visitors. Uh, we've written about 5,000 articles. I personally have written about 45, 4,700. Um, and so uh, we're just working it and uh, and trying. So there you go. Let's get on the air with Alan from Virginia. Alan, welcome. You're on the air. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Doing all right, man. Hanging in there, buddy. What's up? Uh, so one thing I was wanting, so uh, I guess I was trying to pull up the definition of Trinitarian, because I believe last time I read your definition of it, it uh, I qualify under it, um, okay. but right. I was trying to look more in detail to salvation uh, through faith granted by grace. Yes, and um, I was trying to understand what the fa- what faith actually what faith means uh, right. for these verses because there's multiple verses on it. One talks about the so Ephesians. Two eight uh, talks talks about where it's just faith. It doesn't give any details on that. Um, mm-hmm. You got Galatians two sixteen where it's faith in Christ Jesus. So in that in that sense, um, the faith that saves you is the one that's granted to you by grace, but it's faith in Christ Jesus. So it's believing of Jesus in His works and such, I'm assuming, then that begs the question, was Abraham saved through the exact same kind of faith? Yes. Mm -hmm. He was? Okay, so he he was. So he believed he was? Okay. So he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's uh, Romans 4, verse 3. Okay, so he believes in God, but did he believe in Jesus, not necessarily the Word? Not necessarily, Uh, but yes and no. So let's talk about what faith is, okay? First of all, faith is granted to us by God. Philippians 1.29, to you it has been granted to believe. And the word is pistuo, the verb is pistuo, and we get the noun pistis, in English, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis, and uh, but the verb is pistuo. All right, so so the word faith and the word belief in Greek are the same word. We have two different words. Okay, so God grants that we have faith, and that faith is in Christ. John six twenty nine. Jesus says, "This is the work of God that you believe on Him, whom you believe. You know, whom He has sent." So faith is a trust, and it's a belief and a confidence in. Now, there's different kinds of faith. There's what's called essentia and fiducia. Essentia is, yeah, I believe God exists. Yeah, so what? So the devil believes that God exists, and it's called a kind of faith. So you can see, oh, wait a minute. Faith is different meanings in the Greek, in the New Testament. So we, in theology, we call that essentia, mental assent, mental acknowledgement of what it is. All right. How so, do you, how do you spell it? 
Asca and Fiducia? Because I tried looking it up sure. and I kept misspelling it. A S C E N T I A. Okay. Okay. Ascentia, right? So let me look it up to make sure. Because uh, there we go. And Ascentia, and it doesn't really, you know, I'm going to have it this to define because it's a theological term. All right. And on the okay. Karm Dictionary, we've got it. In fact, that's where it comes up. It's uh, considered a type of faith, but it's a different from fiducia, essentially mental assent, mental acknowledgement of the fact of the existence of something. And fiducia is uh, a trust, belief and confidence in. So fiducia is a faithful trusting in something. Uh, where essentia is mental assent and acknowledgement, fiducia is a faithful trust in the fact or existence. So an atheist, for example, might believe that Jesus actually lived, but we put trust in him and his life and stuff. And stuff. Where an atheist could acknowledge, but doesn't uh, trust in. So, could, you know, I, if you... Can I digress? Sure, go ahead. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. So I remember you talking about the uh, nephrims or something like that. They nephilim, nephilim, yes, nephilim. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you you mentioned about a theory that they were bas- basically having that breeding program or whatever to prevent the right. Messiah's coming or something. Is that correct? Yes, it's one of the theories. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so would that classify under? Fiducia that they actually believe he would be, like they have a trust that he would um, be coming and and you know what I mean because like yes, it's yes. different so like the assumption would be that he yes so there's different right. levels it's, it's kind of no no it's okay fiducia includes essentia but not all essentia includes fiducia so what I mean by that is um, I, I can let me just reword it. Uh, some people can really believe and some people kind of believe and so all the people who kind of believe don't always really believe but all the ones who really believe are also kind of believing it's not exactly accurate but this idea of the levels of faith that you can have fiducia if you're going to believe that Jesus is God in flesh also necessitates that you believe it intellectually that you have an, an uh, you, know, you believe he lived etc that's essentia but those who of us who have fiducia, mm-hmm. it's different. It's one step further, let's just say, where, no, I'm trusting in what he did. I'm believing and trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection, because that kind of faith is a faith in the supernatural, where we're acknowledging that. We have to have a, an essentia for the supernatural. Yes, I believe God exists. God can do miraculous things. That's essentia. I believe that Jesus uh, you know, could do minor things. That, that's true. But... Do you really believe and trust in what he's done? Oh, now that's different. Now I trust in his sacrifice. Now I trust in his resurrection. And then by his resurrection and atoning sacrifice, I am now justified. And I put my faith and my trust in him. That's fiducia. But it includes essentia. But we generally don't use them that interchangeably like that. That makes sense? Uh, I definitely think I probably need to study it more because I don't have okay. it like muscle memorized yet. It's all right. Fiducia is full trust and faith in something, where essentia is more of a cautious awareness of something. Okay. Okay. But 
There's just different ways of saying it. So the devil, for example, believes, or that the demonic forces believe that God exists. And uh, let me go over here. Do this so people can see this. So if I were to go to, for example, John, uh, excuse me, James 2.19, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So the demons have uh, faith, but it's not fiducia, it's essentia. They know that God exists, they have that awareness of him, they believe that he's there, but they're not trusting in what he does and who he is and submitting to him. In fiducia, we are trusting and submitting to the reality of who Christ is and what he's done. Okay. okay. Wait, and, and didn't you mention that fiducia is kind of a faith of concern, too? A faith of what? Like, of, kind of like it, it includes, like, concern? Yeah, or it my yeah, it can. Just different context. <laughs> So, but fiducia okay, is really so the, the fiducia is what God gives us. God grants us that that trust and faith in Christ mm-hmm. to believe in Him. That God grants He grants us fiducia, but you can have essentia on your own. Okay. Okay. So, would you say that someone who's so, if we look at, let me just pull it real quick, um, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 if mm-hmm. someone would say they believe in Jesus uh, and they don't believe in works-based salvation um, hold on we got is a break. it possible for them to can you hold on we got a break we got a yes. break sorry because you'll we'll lose your thought so hold on to that we'll get right back from the break and we'll jump right back in and talk with you we'll get through this okay so hold on, buddy. All right. Hey, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. And if you want to give me a call, 877-207-7276. Remember, today is the 28th anniversary of the CARM site. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Let's get on the air with Alan. Okay, Alan, thanks for holding on during the break. Okay, where were we? Hey, uh, yes, so my next question was, is it possible to have, for someone to have essentia in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, but believe they have fiducia in it? Well, it's not a, an issue of believing they have something of faith. It's, not, it's like saying, I believe I have belief. So we've got to be careful about that. And we don't want to put faith in faith. We don't put faith in God, because faith is only as good as who you put it in. So mm-hmm. in Galatians 2.16, nevertheless knowing this, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So this is the issue of who's your faith in? Let's say if you were so stupid as to put your faith in me uh, as someone's going to help you on the Day of Judgment. That would be completely fallacious and foolish. And you could have all the faith in the world, but it's useless. Faith is only as good as who you put it in. That's why Mormons have a false god, so their faith is useless. And so that's how the cults are. And so faith is only as good as who you put it in. And this says, but through faith in Christ Jesus. He's the object of our faith. And the doctrine that goes along with it is he's God in flesh, died on the cross, bore our sins in his body on the cross, rose from the dead three days later. And by trust and faith in what he did, by receiving it, accepting it, believing in it, 
then you are then forgiven of all of your sins and the and his righteousness is imputed to you that's what happens okay mm-hmm all right okay Okay. I'm, just try, I'm just trying to think because I'm trying. I'm, I enrolled in your course or your uh, all three courses. Good. And I'm trying to learn this, and um, I haven't gotten to this stuff yet in it. But I'm trying to figure out an argument if someone's going to use the "you're saved through" um, basically them misusing um, Ephesians to, uh, chapter two verses eight nine and Galatians chapter two verse sixteen and such. So it'd be like. I don't do works. I guess you could go in the Roman Catholic route where they don't believe they do works. Um, they, they do. No, they, they do believe do. they do. They, no, they do. They actually believe they do yeah, works. Yeah, that works are necessary for salvation, which is a heresy. Yeah. But their argument is they don't do that. Yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. Because I've talked yeah. to Catholics, say, so, we don't do the works. I say, wait a minute, you mean you're not the one helping somebody? Well, that's God working through me. Are you the one walking and, and helping him lift up that bag and carrying to the car? That good work, is it you doing it? You know, they, they have this mental game like Mormons do, where they don't understand what they're thinking because they've been trained to not think properly. So I have to work with them. So they are doing the work. Otherwise, if they're not doing any of the work, they have no responsibility, no culpability in it. And just a, a word game they're playing. It's not logical. Okay, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I was just, um, I mean, thank you for the explanation. Um, but I'm just, I'm trying to, I don't know, I guess slowly build up my, I guess the term is repertoire of answers for um, people, for like, people's questions as I learn apologetics. Okay. So well, be like, if I had known that, oh, that would have been, have been helpful. So here's yeah. the thing. It's like, a, We're, we can't do any good oh, works. Okay in any way shape or form to merit anything with God all our works are right mm-hmm. our righteous deeds are filthy rags Isaiah 64 6 no one does good Romans 3 10 11 and 12 all right so anything you and I do is touched by sin and the requirement is perfection from God holiness that's Philippians I mean excuse me first Peter 1 16 be holy for I'm holy so whatever you do whatever I do is touched by sin so we can't add anything to what Christ has done. Christ is second person of the Trinity, God in flesh. He fulfilled the law perfectly, First Peter 2.22. He never sinned. He bore our sin in his body on the cross, First Peter 2.24. He died with that sin. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So he died with that sin and thereby paying the penalty of that, which is separation, judgment, all that stuff. We can get into those particulars. He rose from the dead, proving that what he said was true. Now, our faith then is in what he did and any works that we have are the result of God working in us but these works have no bearing on our justification justification is being declared righteous and that occurs by faith only in Christ only Romans 4 5 says to the one who does not work but believes that's faith alone right there uh, but, but believes and, and uh, in the one who was that uh, and, and we're justified at the point of regeneration or at death or no, no, at no. the just- cross and then imputed to us at uh, we're justified um, at, at belief we're justified by faith so when okay. we believe that's when we're justified 
of okay. justification is by faith. I ask them, I ask the Catholics, for example, do you believe we're justified by faith? The Bible says, Romans 5, 1, having therefore been justified by faith. Do you believe that? Yes. Well, then, are we justified by faith when we have faith? And they'll say, well, you got to do something. Like what? Get baptized. You know, take communion. Do whatever you got to do. So you're not justified by faith when you have faith. Because if you're justified by faith, then when you have faith, you're justified, right? Well, no. Uh -huh. Well, they're not justified by faith, are you? So they, you know, you have to find ways to get around their, their faulty logic. And it occurs all the time in all cults and false groups. Okay, so God grants we have faith in what Christ did. And because it's from God, in and of itself, that faith he grants to us, Philippians 1.29, that's in Christ, John 6.29, that faith that comes from God that he grants to us is sufficient to justify us in and of itself because it comes from God. So our works have no bearing on, what, on our salvation, they have no bearing on us obtaining, maintaining, or regaining our salvation. Our works are simply the result of being regenerated, which is concomitant with justification and belief. Mm. Okay. And what would you say the definition of works are? Works are those things that you do in space and time, and then in this context, uh, according to the revelation of God's law, like keeping the Sabbath, getting baptized, something you have to do in order to be right with God as a kind of work. Some people believe that you have to help little old ladies across the street. You can't watch R-rated movies. You can't uh, cuss. You have to do this. You have to go to church. Uh, you have to take the communion. You have to do this. There's all these restrictions and all these obligations that you have in order to maintain yourself with the infinitely holy God by your performance, which is abject demonic heresy. That's to say, they're saying, well, Jesus isn't enough and the faith that God grants to me isn't enough I have to perfect it I have to maintain it that's what the cults do all false religions teach that Roman Catholics Mormons mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses Muslims all of them they teach the same thing only in Christianity are we justified by faith alone in Christ alone because it's by Jesus who's God in flesh second person of the Trinity and he grants us the faith that we have in him it's all, it's all him we actually do the believing and he gets all the credit and all the glory. And that's how we're justified. Okay? Okay. Could I ask you one more thing real quick? Real I never fast, out of break again. I'm sorry. That's, yeah, okay. we'll, yeah, we'll get out of colors, but okay, um, go ahead. Uh, the body Jesus rose in, it was physical yet glorified, but there was also a spiritual aspect to it, right? I think that you wrote about, which I didn't quite understand. I'll tell you what. We got a break. We got somebody waiting. We're gonna call them. So call me back. Get in line, and we'll talk about that. Okay. All right, buddy. Okay. Thank you. Oh, all, all right, man. Sounds good. Hey, folks. We'll be right back after these messages. And I think someone wants to talk about the deity of Christ or something like that. It might be from the discussion I had last night. The Trinity should be interesting. We'll be right back. Please stay tuned. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show, bottom of the hour. Let's get on the air here with Elijah. Elijah, welcome here on the air. Hey, Matt, uh, how you doing? Doing all right. So what do you got? Yeah, uh, I have a question on the uh, the uh, deity of Christ. Uh, I'm a 
I'm a Trinitarian, by the way. And uh, okay. so, um, I uh, watched your your um, uh, conversation slash debate with Kelly mm-hmm. Powers uh, from yesterday. And yeah, he was uh, on. Our, he was on. The, he's a Trinitarian too. For those who don't know, there were other guys he and I were discussing stuff with. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, and um, I think it was sometime last week I watched a video from Sean Griffin where he. Mm-hmm. Where he joined a discussion panel with Sam Shimon, and uh, and uh, and uh, he was defending his Unitarian position against mm-hmm. Sam's Trinitarian position, and and in the video he he made an edit to the video where where he brought this up, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna read it, and then I'm gonna ask my question. So he okay. says, Sam Sam brings making a case which will end in Revelation 20 for Jesus accepting accepting temple worship in addition to the Father. A priest is never given temple worship. A priest administers temple worship to his God. And then he goes on to quote uh, Revelation 3.12, where Jesus says, where it says, the one who overcomes, I, Jesus, will make a pillar in the temple of my God. So my question is, uh, how would you answer that, you know, where he says that Jesus can't be God because he's a high priest, and priests never accept temple worship, or, or, or never given temple worship. The priest that you're talking about was not Jesus in his three offices. He's prophet, priest, and king. And this is just common knowledge for people who believe in the deity of Christ. I know Sam Shimon, and I wouldn't uh, recommend you trust him anymore because he's gone off the deep end, is now into, into Eastern Orthodoxy, and so you would be careful. But he is very good at Islam, and uh, he does know the doctrine of the Trinity. So, okay, take it for what it is. So the priests that are being spoken of are in the Old Testament, and the priesthood in the Old Testament ultimately was that which pointed ahead to Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus is called a high priest after the order of Melchizedek in Hebrews 6.20 and Hebrews 7.25. And we know from Hebrews 1.6 that Jesus receives worship, because it says, let all the angels of God worship him. And then in verse 8, but of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So Jesus receives worship, commanded to receive worship by God, and yet he's also the high priest. And this is because he is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which is different than the Levitical Aaronic priesthood that was in the Old Testament. And so that priesthood was typological to represent the true priesthood of Christ, because we know from Hebrews 9, 10, 11, that the blood of goats, etc., doesn't cleanse from sin. And that the high priest who go in on Yom Kippur once a year into the Holy of Holies had to offer, uh, you know, the blood on the mercy seat. Well, he did that because that temporary expiation, not removal, but expiation of sin is what was necessary. Otherwise, if it was really efficacious, truly efficacious, he wouldn't have to do it anymore. And so Jesus Christ, who's a high priest, and because he's God in flesh, offered a perfect sacrifice to God the Father, and therefore his priesthood is eternal, and his sacrifice is uh, inviolate and perfect. And so, as that priesthood uh, office holder, prophet, priest, and king, the three offices of Christ, he can receive worship, and he does. Okay. Okay. And um, uh, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but but I had called you a couple weeks ago. Uh, asking about, you know, some of the objections that atheists uh, like to bring up. Uh, uh, I, I was gonna call you back sooner, but like, like my phone had got had got cut off, and like, like right now, I'm currently, okay. yeah. And so, right. um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. What question do I want to ask you that they brought up? Um, okay. So, so, so one of the questions that 
uh, one of the atheists brought up was that uh, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins, it wasn't uh, it wasn't true forgiveness on God's part, and the reason why they say that is because is because if, if they say that if God truly forgave us, then he would have never he would have never taken out taken out his wrath on Jesus. He would have just forgiven us without you know taking out his wrath on the Son. And, and, and they say that by by the Father taking out his wrath on the Son, uh, that okay. that's not true forgiveness because you're just you're just directing your anger towards somebody else. Yeah. So, how, so how would you respond to that objection? Yeah, that's called an external critique. They're not looking at the biblical model. What they're doing is looking at things in the Bible and then asserting a certain value external to that and then imposing it on that. So it's a, called an external critique. They're not looking at what God has said inside the scriptures and how it's revealed in the scriptures. What they're doing is coming up with their own reason. They're saying basically, what they're saying is, we know what God would really have done. Why? Because we're atheists. And so we'll tell you that true forgiveness could only happen under these certain conditions because it wouldn't work this other way. And so if an atheist were to say that to me, I'd say, look, can you please show me the universal standard that you're in contact with that exists in the universal, in, in, the, in the universe? by which you can then assert what is obligatory to the nature of justification and forgiveness in blood atonement. I'd like you to provide that for me. Now, they can't because it's a stupid assertion that they are making at this point. They can't defend it, and, they, and they're just they're speaking just, in, you know, I can't say what on the radio, where they're speaking from. But the thing is, it's ridiculous. And then I'm going to say, look, if you want to go biblically, we can go to the Bible and I'll show you what the, what the Word of God says. But you, you are just now, what you're doing is an external critique. You're adding a criteria not in the Bible, upon the Bible, and judging it by what you say, but you can't justify your criteria. Okay? Yeah. Make, makes sense. Uh, 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 could I ask you one more question? Sure. Okay, so... Uh, uh, you you had brought up this this scripture in your uh, tag team discussion with Kelly Powers on deity of Christ. Uh, you brought yeah. up John fourteen twenty three, mm-hmm. where Jesus says, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and make our home with him." And, and you explain uh, that that Jesus is saying that both the Father and Him will come and live inside of us, and so and so I'm gonna go to. Uh, John, uh, I think it was John 15, where Jesus says that uh, the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of us, and then he also says, he says that I will come and make my, he, he says that I, I will not leave you orphans, I will come and make my abode with you, or something like that. So, right. so I know that one is try to try to say that this means that Jesus is the Holy Spirit, but, but, but my question is, in John 15, when he says that the Holy Spirit will come, and then He will not leave His orphans. He will come to us as well. Is Jesus referring back to John fourteen twenty three, where He also says the Father and Him will come uh, and make their abode with us? Is He saying that all three will come, at, you know, to live inside of us? Is that is that what Jesus meant? I don't know because I don't know the exact verse you're talking about. I had to read the context to see, so I can't comment without having uh, looked at it. But you'll notice that that they really the guy messed up. He could not answer the question, the challenge I gave him about John fourteen twenty three. He, he wasn't able to deal with it. 
Okay. And then, I don't know, was it him or the same guy, a, a different guy, excuse me, uh, the most ridiculous uh, response I've ever heard to John two nineteen through 21, the resurrection of Christ, which was amazingly bad. But uh, So as far as oh, yeah. this goes, I'd have to... Uh, I'd have to know what, what exactly what verse you're talking about. Uh, I'm trying to find it, and uh, and uh, while I'm trying to find it, uh, I just wanted to say I was cracking up when that guy said that I will raise up the temple after the third day. It meant that Jesus is going to stand up. I was cracking up. <laughs> yeah, that is the most ludicrous uh, thing I've ever heard uh, as far from a cultist, uh, and uh, it's memorable. But for those who don't know, I was in a discussion last night, and this guy said, that, you know, I threw it out, and he, he went for it. I, I did it on purpose, and I knew, you know, he goes, no, it didn't happen. He fell for it. But he opened the door for it, too, but it's another thing. And I said, Jesus raised himself from the dead. He goes, no, he didn't. And we went right to John two nineteen, you know, and it says, uh, this way, this temple, three days, I will raise it up. And I will raise is a gay row in the Greek. It's a future active indicative, first person singular which means Jesus is performing the action of his resurrection. And the guy, as for the people who are listening, the guy actually said it wasn't about his resurrection from the dead. It's about him, after he was raised from the dead, him standing up, from sitting down to standing up. The most <laughs> ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous response I've ever heard, ever. That takes the cake. And I said, wait a minute. He's going to stand up? That's what he's talking about. Destroy this temple three days. I'm going to stand up. <laughs> it, just, it was awesome. You know, and it just shows you that these guys, uh, they don't know what they're doing. And um, anyway, but that's all another thing. So you're talking about John 14, 18. I'll not leave you as orphans. Uh, I will come to you. And some people will say the Holy Spirit, but then there's ways to respond to that as well. Okay. So we got to go, buddy. We've got another caller waiting. So call back, get in line if you want, all right? All right, man. God bless. Okay. Hey, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. If you want to give me a call, all you got to do is dial 877-207-2276. Remember, today is the 28th anniversary of CARM.org, the ministry. God bless. We'll be right back. Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Welcome back, Alan. Oh, I'm back already? Nice. You're back. Hey, <laughs> there you go. Okay. This is on the, right. the 20, 28th anniversary of the CARM ministry, and you get to be on the air twice. How about that? Congrats. <laughs> um, okay, so I so to continue the conversation where I sure. took a basically a monopoly over your radio station today. I'm That's sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's a good topic, and people need to hear it, especially the Mormons and the Catholics if are listening. Mm -hmm. But yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I read your article, Is Jesus a Man Right Now? Yes. And I'm trying to understand what you mean... I think about halfway down your article, you talk about spiritual lies. Um, my question is, how is Jesus not in a spiritual body, but his physical body is spiritualized, according to that article? Well, it's how, how the words are used in our context. So Jesus literally right now has a physical body and it has holes in the wrists and his feet 
etc. That's his body. And we know that mm-hmm. because in John um, in John uh, 2025, let's see, John 2025, whoops, Thomas, you know, he says, uh, I won't believe unless I see the in his hands the imprint of the nails, put my finger into the place of the nails, put my hand into his side. And this is talking about you know, he'd risen from the dead. And then Jesus says uh, in verse 27, reach here your finger, see my hands, reach here your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And so Jesus is saying, look, here I am. And it's the same body he died in because he had the, the crucifixion wounds. The same body. Okay. But it's a, we could say, a spiritualized body when we use the term loosely. Because what it means is he's in the he's the first one to be resurrected in a glorified body. So, um, so can you go uh, into detail on what glorified body means? Yeah, it just means a glorified body. It's the same thing. It just means that uh, he won't die again. And apparently, uh, Jesus was able to uh, just by by exertion of his will be able to be in more than one place uh, not more than one place but you know go from here he just appeared in the room with them he just appeared and then disappeared mm-hmm. so this is one of the attributes apparently of uh, a glorified body now we don't know if that's the case because he's both divine and human but uh, he certainly has this ability and uh, this so he's in a glorified resurrected body and so will we be when we uh, on that day of resurrection Mm-hmm. Could there be an argument that since he is um, all powerful, I guess I guess because then you could say, but since he's all powerful, I would assume he would be able to do this even before he died. Do what? Like he would be able to live without blood before he died, etc. No, uh, because he's a man, and he was in a human body, and the human body needed blood, and that's the reason he died on the cross is because the blood was draining out of his body. That's what happens in crucifixion. The wounds are there and blood is draining out. And it's a horrible way to go because uh, you've got blood coming out of your your wrists and blood out of your, your feet. And in order to breathe, because of the condition, you have to push against the nails on your feet and it rubs your back against the wood when the back's been whipped. And there's, so there's blood coming out of there. And so as the blood is leaving the body, the heart has to beat faster and faster because there's not enough blood to carry the oxygen, you know, and the hemoglobin in the blood. And so therefore, eventually the heart explodes, it ruptures. And when that happens, the circulation of that blood ceases and then the plasma separates. And that's why when they they stuck him in the side, blood and water came out. That's what they described it as. And so... That means his heart had stopped beating. It's not because of the pain, but because the blood was out of his body and his body could not function. He was completely human, and he still is. He has two natures. Now, there's another issue we could talk about, because in Second Corinthians 12, uh, 2-4, Paul said, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but such a man was caught up in the third heaven. So you can exist, and we'll just say this as a human male, as a man apart from the body because the human nature is not restricted to the physical body humanity is something that can exist apart from the body and so Jesus was existing and he still does with two natures in the one person 
And when he died, that union of the natures, the divine and the human, still continued on after his death. But he was resurrected in a glorified body that will no longer die, doesn't need sustenance, etc. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to understand the spiritualized thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I know you went into it. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, it's okay. Go ahead. Ask your question. You're trying to learn this stuff and get a, a comprehensive analysis of it, and I know why. Because if you want to do apologetics, you have to understand these nuances and shades of nuances. Once it clicks, then you can um, go even further with that information than you think you normally would be able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why I want to understand glorified and spiritualized in this article and stuff. Um, yeah, so, yeah. think of spiritualized and glorified as just being synonymous. Okay. Oh, okay. So that that makes a lot more sense. Okay, because because there's separate okay. there's there's separate words in here, on the, and the spiritualized comes after a comma with glorified, and so that was kind of confusing me. Yeah. Because I've never yeah, it, I, don't, I don't I haven't heard of that term in the Bible. Well, because it's not in the Bible. Oh. Spiritualized mm-hmm. isn't really a, a an American or an English word either. Uh, so, because he's raised in a spiritual, uh, spiritual body, it is so in a natural body. He's raised a spiritual body. Well, what's a spiritual body? It's in First Corinthians fifteen forty four. Some people think, well, spiritual body means he doesn't have a body of flesh and bones. It's spiritual, but that's not what's going on. It's uh, the spiritual body is that um, the spiritual aspect of that resurrection that is from God. That's the kind of body that he has. That spiritual body is a physical resurrected body because he retained the crucifixion wounds after the resurrection. He had to have a physical body for that. Mm-hmm. Um, are angels born with a spiritual body? Well, now when you talk about that, now you're talking about a different category because a human is different than an angel. Angels don't have physical bodies, but we do. We are designed to be in physical bodies. They were not. So when you say a spiritual body, now the context has changed. So do they have mm-hmm. a, a let's just say, a form that can be localized? Like can an angel be in the room with me and not outside this room? Yes. Can I be in the room and out of the room at the same time? No. Okay. So can God be in and out? Yes. So does God have a localized form? He can manifest it, but we don't know if it's part of his nature because he's he's ubiquitous by his nature, but angels are not. So they would seem to and appear to have a localized form, but we don't know what that is because they're spiritual in nature, not physical. Okay. Okay. So, so spiritual body in this case for an angel, or I guess for angel, and I guess for like the father and such, um, they would have attributes. I was trying to find the right word for this. Like they would be able to be now because I'm guessing I'm trying. I'm guessing confusing manifest manifesting with this. Well, you're on the right track, but let me back up and help you because you want to do apologetics. Properties or attributes emanate from the ontos. The ontos is the nature of the essence of something. Okay, so if I have a plant, 
in a pot in my hand, that plant is photosynthetic, green, uh, has certain attributes that are part of its ontos, its nature. If I have a bowling ball, on the other hand, uh, it doesn't photosynthesize because its ontos does not permit that kind of function where it is spherical, mm -hmm. but a plant is not. So different natures re, uh, have different properties. They're called necessary properties that are part and, and emanate out of that nature. And all things that exist have properties that emanate and proceed from that. There's accidental properties, and then there's uh, essential properties. An essential property of a bowling ball, for example, is its uh, being spherical. But a, an accidental property would be something like it could be red or black. It could have a different quality in color, but it doesn't necessitate that it's part a necessary or essential property, where spherical nature of a bowling ball is a necessary property, because if it's not spherical, it's not a bowling ball. But if you can have a bowling ball be red or black, it doesn't matter. So there's essential and accidentals. Mm -hmm. So there are essential properties that exist with uh, humanity. And that humanity, essential property, can be in a male or a female body, a tall or a, a short, black, white, brown, orange, with arms, without arms, blind, sighted. So those are accidentals uh, that reference the essential uh, nature, and the properties emanate out of the, the essential nature. Okay. Okay. So, so by this, when Jesus rose in the in in the same physical body he died in. How is he human if he doesn't have blood? Because humanity is not necessitated by having blood. It's like saying... Part of no, 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 no. Humanity is not necessitated, but a human body that functions without before resurrection is. But a glorified body does not necessitate that because it's a glorified okay. body. But the humanity of Christ is not altered. My humanity okay. and your humanity will not change. The So when you go to 2 Corinthians 12, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, such a man was caught up in the third heaven. So you can exist as a man in or out of the body. Your humanity is not restricted by your physical form. So if you have a man who's in a car accident, loses both legs, he's still human? Yeah. Having legs or not having legs has no effect on his nature, which is human. But the physical inhabitant, what we call that body, is an act, we'll call it for now, an accidental property. And not, not really, but we'll call it for now. That it's, it's a, a human body is something that the essential property is housed in and the, the uh, physical properties can take different forms, different sizes, different aspects. So humanity okay. so is not necessarily physical. It's a an abstraction. I'm getting too technical here, but it's an abstract thing. Like love is an abstraction. You can't put it in a jar, and humanity is an essence, and yet it has properties, and we perceive others' humanity by the properties they emanate. In our cases, physical form. Okay. This is yeah, technical. Makes, that's a, that's, yeah. okay. I mean, it may or may not be necessary for the apologetics I get into, but I would like to learn it either way just so I can use it. No, you'll, you need it. It's necessary. 
trust me, this is necessary. Because if you're going to be doing apologetics, you'll need to have the issue of the ontos and properties, essential accidental properties. You need to study those. Okay? Mm -hmm. You need to study them. All right. It'll it'll come up. Thank you very much. All right, man. There's the music. We got to go. All right, buddy. God bless. Okay. Hey, folks, we are out of time. Sorry, Elijah. Call back tomorrow. We can talk about the rapture. Woohoo! Today was the 28th anniversary of the car ministry 28 years ago, October 25th. May the Lord bless you by His grace. We're back on here tomorrow, and we'll talk to you then. Have a good evening. Another program powered by the Truth Network. <laughs>